And it looks like we have a new director in the works, so hope to see Ben back up there. Um, but <clears throat> thank you everyone for returning this evening, uh, and thank you for everyone that has been involved in our service uh, so far this evening. This evening we're going to be uh, considering a passage from the life of Elijah, from the prophet Elijah. And um, as I get the opportunity to, to preach, I've been working my way through the life of Elijah, so I think it's been probably maybe a year and a half so since I've started looking at a few passages from Elijah, and today, um, today we kind of come to a passage that's kind of in the middle of um, the passages that we have recorded in the scriptures of the prophet Elijah. But this evening we're going to see that Elijah comes face to face with God's plans and purposes for his life and the lives of those around him. And as we consider the plans of God this evening, and specifically in the life of Elijah, I'd like you to consider a few uh, questions with me. The first is this, how often do you think about what, ha what God has planned for your upcoming day, or even your whole entire life? How often do you think about what God has planned for your upcoming day, or even your whole entire life? Secondly, consider how often does your plans or your will not happen how you planned or desired for it to happen? How often do your plans not come to fruition? And then thirdly and lastly, consider as we approach the life of Elijah, what is your response when things don't go according to your plans? How do you react? How do you feel? What is your response when your plans don't go according to to how you've planned them out. And as you consider these questions and as we look at the life of Elijah this evening, I think you will see yourself in the shoes of Elijah as we think about how he interacts with God's plans and how he um, acts in the passage that we're going to be looking at this evening. So to just kind of give us a better understanding of our passage uh, this evening, we'll start off with just a brief summary of where Elijah has been in his life up to the point that we're going to look. So you can start turning there. We're going to be looking specifically at 1 Kings 19, verses 13 through 21. That's 1 Kings 19, and specifically our passage is verses 13 through 21. Um, and as you turn there, I'd like to just kind of fill you in to where Elijah has been in his life so far. And if you don't know anything about Elijah, Elijah is a really interesting character in the scriptures. Uh, I think there's probably other characters like him, but Elijah's interesting in that he kind of just drops onto the scene of scripture. There's really no information. There's not too much information that we have about his family. We don't know how old he is. We don't even know what he did years prior in ministry. We really don't know much about Elijah till we get his story on uh, or in the scriptures. But specifically in 1 Kings 17 uh, is where his story starts, and it makes it very clear that he's a prophet of the Lord. He's one that's said to have stood before the Lord, and we're told frequently all throughout Elijah's story that the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. I describe Elijah as a bold and as a faithful servant of God, at least up to the point of our passage. Uh, and we see how Elijah lives in a time in which that wasn't the normal, or that wasn't the norm for him or for someone to be bold and faithful in their walk with God. And I say that because um, they lived in the kingdom of Ahab, which was a wicked and idolatrous kingdom. 
And usually the two reactions would be either to turn from the Lord. Many did not serve the Lord, but served sometimes both the Lord and idols or just the idols. And if people were serving the Lord, often they were in hiding for fear of King Ahab. And as I said, Elijah's story starts in chapter 17 of the book of 1 Kings. And it starts off by Elijah going straight to this king, King Ahab, who did not follow the Lord at all. He was an idolatrous king. And Elijah goes right up to him and tells him that his kingdom would be under a drought. And for three years, it does not rain. In 1 Kings 18, if we turn a chapter over, we find Elijah goes to the king again, King Ahab. And this time he challenges him to a competition. And many of, us, many of us have heard the story of Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel. And what happens there is Elijah sets forth a competition. Elijah's God versus Ahab's God on the top of Mount Carmel. And Elijah is seeking to prove who is the one true and only God. Well, Ahab agrees and he sends for his 850 prophets... Elijah's just one prophet, but he's up against 850 prophets of his gods, Baal and Ashtoreth, and they compete. Ahab builds his altar, and Elijah builds his altar. And ultimately, it is God, Elijah's God who proves himself by sending fire from heaven to consume the whole entire altar. Elijah is victorious, and he's bold on the top of Mount Carmel. Well, then Elijah and Ahab both travel to Ahab's wife Jezebel. And the tides start to turn in 1 Kings 19. So our passage is in 1 Kings 19, but in the beginning of chapter 19, Elijah is threatened. He receives a death threat from Jezebel, and Elijah's response is completely different from how he had acted earlier in his life. His response is one of fear. He flees to the wilderness. He retreats to the wilderness where he lies depressed and consumed with fear. And ultimately, he actually asks the Lord to take his life. So Elijah's quite interesting in that a spiritual high on the top of Mount Carmel becomes a spiritual low for the prophet of the Lord. A once fearless and faithful servant of God becomes depressed and a despairing man. The man who was a servant of God becomes suicidal. The man who before relied upon the word of God for direction, guidance, and sustenance does not even turn to the word of God in his fear. But 1 Kings 19 doesn't leave us with Elijah like this. As God shows grace as ultimately God provides for him just as he had done in the past. It is the word of God that confronts Elijah in his depression. So this is ultimately what leads to our passage for this evening. 1 Kings 19, verses 13 through 21. And we get to take a look at how God interacts with Elijah at a very low point in Elijah's life. In a time in which Elijah's coming off what I would say um, a time of depression a moment in which Elijah was very fearful, very anxious. And as you look in, in your Bibles, as, as we turn to this passage, you can see that verse 13 starts kind of right in the middle of a section. A lot of our Bibles are um, broken up by sections, and you have some subheadings. Well, this is in the middle of a, of a section, and the reason that I've 
chosen to take a look at this section is I was going to just handle verses 19 through 21 this evening, but I really think the larger context starting back in verse 13 is very, very important for us to, to understand this whole part of Elijah's life and why he does what he does in verse, beginning in verse 19. So that's why we're looking at this larger passage and kind of in the middle of a section there. But what you need to know as we move into this is Elijah's coming off a time of depression, a time of despair. So let's, look at, let's begin by looking at verses 13 through 14, and we see how Elijah responds to God when God comes to him. So look with me beginning at verse 13. It says this, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So those two verses, I think we can sum them up, or we can sum up Elijah's reaction, or how he's looking at his situation as Elijah sees all is lost. He saw his time of service as finished. I would even say he sees God as defeated. So what we're going to be seeing tonight, and the theme I'd like us to consider as we consider verses 13 through 21 is how God's plan is accomplished despite what Elijah thinks. Again, we're going to consider how God's plan is accomplished despite what Elijah thinks. So we're going to break down our passage into three sections, which translate into three points for our own lives. The first one is this. The plan of God is accomplished, not Elijah's. Again, the first point we'll look at is the plan of God is accomplished, not Elijah's. And specifically, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 for this. And in verses 13 through 18, we find a contrast. We already looked at verses 13 through 14, and we kind of get Elijah's point of view. We kind of get his take on all that's happened to him. But then in verses 15 through 18, we get the flip side, and we get to see how God's looking at this situation what God's plans are. And I would say we see them in stark contrast, almost complete opposites to Elijah's. All right, so let's read, let's again look at verse 13. And I'd like you to pay careful attention this time to what Elijah says. And then as we get to verse 15, to think about how God views the situation. So verse 13 is Elijah's take. It says this, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then here we get Elijah's take on the situation. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Then we come to verse 15, and we get what I'd call God's plans or God's purposes, which are now contrasted with Elijah. It says in verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. 
and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So first we'll look at a general contrast. So I want to contrast Elijah's take on the situation and then God's take on the situation, and then we'll kind of get to some specifics. So the general contrast. First, Elijah sees defeat as God plans for victory. Elijah sees an end as God plans the start of something great. Elijah sees his life being done as God sees it continuing. Elijah sees his ministry as finished as God has more for him. So we really see two completely different uh, views of the situation. And ultimately, we see God's plan and Elijah's does not match up. God's plans and Elijah's plans are far from each other. They're really complete opposites. And ultimately, we're going to find out and see that God's plan outweighs Elijah's. God's will trumps Elijah's card every time. It is God's plan and his purposes that prevail no matter how Elijah feels, no matter how he anticipates things going, no matter what Elijah seems to think is in store, it is God's will that is accomplished. So that's kind of a more general contrast. Now let's look at a few specific verses and see a specific contrast. When you think about the words of Elijah, what he, what he says, and we've read these now twice, verses 13 through 14, I would say they're words of defeat. Elijah sees the, the plan, what, the journey that he had been on as a failure. And ultimately, Elijah's words limit the power of God. They are not words that are said with God's sovereignty in mind. But now think about the words of God. God's power and his sovereignty shine forth from these words. Look with me at verse 15, and we'll read verses 15 to 16. Again, these words, I would say, God's power and his sovereignty shine forth from them. Verse 15 says, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Consider the first two guys that God talks about. The first is Haziel. All right? And Haziel, he's a foreigner. He's not an Israelite. And we learn later in the book of 2 Kings that he's a wicked man. He's an assassinator of the king in the nation in which he's, he's under, and he becomes king. So he's a wicked man. Think of Jehu. Jehu is characterized this way in, in uh, the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings 10.31 says, But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. So again, we're, we're contrasting Elijah's view and God's view. And we ultimately see God's plan is to use two wicked men to fulfill his purposes. God's plan was to make his name glorified and to bring punishment on Ahab's family. And remember, that's the family that Elijah thought had defeated both him and God. God was going to take care of Ahab and Jezebel. 
And as I said, ultimately we see God's power and sovereignty are shown from what God says to Elijah. And though God's plan and through God's plans as he can take two evil men and use them in their wickedness to fulfill his purposes. So ultimately, we learn some pretty important lessons for our own lives from this first point, that God's plans are accomplished and not Elijah's. So as we think about our lives, think about this. First, our plans are often not God's plans. Our plans are often not God's plans. So you think about how you often plan out your life or what you think is going to take place. Often, it's not what ends up taking place. It's not often what God has planned. Secondly, just like Elijah, often we are oblivious or ignorant to the plans and the will of God. Often we're oblivious to the plans and the will of God. Third, often what we desire or think will take place Even if it's something that would result in the honor and the glory of God, it may not take place. If you think about Elijah, Elijah thought the outcome of Mount Carmel would bring victory. He thought it would bring the people to repentance. He thought it would bring a a defeat of Ahab and Jezebel. And that doesn't happen. Certainly those things would have brought honor and glory to God, but that's not how God was working it out. So I think we can relate with Elijah very well as we think about the plans of God. And I also think we can get several challenges as we consider this first point that God's plan is accomplished and not Elijah's. I'll give you three challenges. The first is that we are challenged to be patient or even to wait for the Lord in the midst of our plans not coming to fruition. We are challenged to endure, be steadfast and long-suffering in the midst of hardship because it may be what God has us at that time. Secondly, we're challenged to ask God this. We could ask God, God, cause my plans and what I'd like to see happen to match what you have decreed. God, help me to become more in accordance with your will. And then thirdly and lastly, we're challenged from this first point to rely upon the word of God. Again, it was God's word that confronted Elijah here. And the same is true today. God uses his word in our lives to guide, to lead, and to direct us to follow his will. So from this first point, we see the word of God confronting Elijah, declaring the will of God as opposed to Elijah's will. And ultimately, it puts Elijah on a different path. And that leads us to our second point. Our second point is this. The plan of God is accomplished through a weak, fallen an even unexpected individual. The plan of God is accomplished through a weak, fallen, and even unexpected individual. So our first, our first point was dealing with a contrast between Elijah and God's plan. And we're moving forward now, and we see that God's will or God's plan will be accomplished, and now we're talking about how it's going to be accomplished. How is God going to work things out in the future? And again, we're going to actually look at 1 Kings 19, verses 13 through 18. And now I want you to focus on how God is going to bring about his will or how God's going to work out his plan. So look again with me at verse 13, and I'll emphasize where we see how God is working out his plan. Verse 13 says this, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, 
the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. So in verse 15, pay attention to who God is using. It continues and says, And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So what I want to, want to emphasize here is who God's using or how he's working out his plan. And what we see is that God is using a depressed prophet to fulfill his will. The one who had given up, who saw himself and even God as a failure, that is who God is choosing to use here. God chooses to use Elijah who is struggling and sinful. And because of these things, I would say he's unexpected. We might question, why wouldn't God choose to use someone who hasn't stumbled? Or why wouldn't God choose to su someone who wasn't depressed or who hasn't given up or who hasn't sinned? We may question this, yet we see who God uses, and he uses Elijah. And I think even as we think about our world today, if we think about getting a job, oftentimes, and, and certainly not always, but often, um, uh, people over a company or over a business, they want the most qualified. They want the best man for the job. And as we look here, maybe in our view, Elijah doesn't seem like the best man for the job. He's coming off a time of depression, a time where he's not really trusting in the Lord, but we see God plans to use him. And as we think about the story of Scripture, as we think about all of the characters in the Bible, if you start thinking about different characters... I would argue that this is a very consistent theme in the Bible. God chooses to use those who are weak and fallen to fulfill his will. If you think about Saul in the New Testament, God takes a Saul and transforms him into a Paul. A Pharisee who per persecuted Christians changed into a man who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Another New Testament example, think of Peter, a very well-known story of his uh, threefold denial of Jesus. But yet, in John 21, Jesus restores him to ministry. Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Reminding us of this threefold denial. And ultimately, we see that Jesus takes a sinful man, a man who denied Jesus himself, he takes Peter and chooses to use him as one of the main leaders in starting the church. And I would say, we think about all of Scripture but if we think about ourselves as well, if we're honest with ourselves, this describes each and every one of us. Think about before you were saved. Before you believed in our Lord Jesus Christ, we were weak and fallen. We were hopeless and we were helpless. And even still, though we're saved, we still constantly need the strength that only God provides. We still have struggles and mistakes we may still stray for a time or go through a particular dark time in our life, but God still chooses to use us. And what we learn from Elijah is that God chooses to use these types of people. God chooses to take a depressed prophet who at one time had done great things for the Lord and then falls into despair. And right here, 
in our passage, God takes him and he restores him back to ministry. Even further, think about Elijah's life. Think about God using a weak and a fallen man. Think about how that declares the power in the glory of God, that God could use such a person like Elijah. God could take a depressed man, a man who had ran away and had given up on ministry and wanted his life to end. God took him and he used him uh, in a mighty way. And I think ultimately that just shows the glory of God. So we think about ourselves and think about even though we're weak, even though we're fallen, God can use us and ultimately our lives can give glory to him. And then lastly, as we consider this second point, when we consider our sin, how bad we've messed up, or as we think about our weakness, often our reaction or often our feeling is we can have a real sense of guilt or shame or discouragement at the way in which we've messed up. But I believe that Elijah's life should bring us hope Hope in the midst of sin. Hope in the midst of discouragement. Hope in the midst of a mistake. Hope in a failure knowing that God can raise us out of it. That God can use us to further his kingdom and to bring honor to his name just like he did with Elijah. So I think actually Elijah, Elijah's life should really bring you hope. Realizing no matter what your sin is, God can take you and use you in a mighty and a powerful way for his glory. So we've seen two points out of three so far. We've seen that God, God, God's plan is accomplished, not Elijah's. And then secondly, we see how God ultimately fulfills his plan in this, in this time, and that is through a weak, a fallen, and unexpected individual. And we'll look next where our, our passage leads, and that is to look at how specifically God uses Elijah. So our third point is this. The plan of God is accomplished through the training up of the next generation. Our third point is the plan of God is accomplished through the training up of the next generation. So if you look with me at verse 19, we'll read verses 19 through 21 together, and we'll see how specifically God fulfills this plan. Verse 19 says this, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So there in verses 19 through 21, we get the call of Elisha. And ultimately, I want to focus on Elijah's part in this call. You can look back there at verse 16. We saw that God had ultimately called Elijah to do this, to find a replacement, being Elisha. In verse 16, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your or starting at verse 15, sorry, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And then it says this, And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. 
So Elijah is called to raise up his replacement. That is specifically how God is working out his plan in Elijah's life. Now again, look with me at verse 19. It says, So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. If you come to this passage, that last line is a little, might stump you. Uh, you might have some questions about what does it mean that Elijah is passing by Elisha and throwing his cloak upon him? And I think the answer to this is that it's ultimately a symbol of Elijah calling Elisha to follow him. It's, a, it's to symbolize the fact that he's calling him to be his disciple. He's calling him to learn from him and to ultimately be his apprentice. This is even clear from Eli Elisha's response. If you look with me at verse 20, Elisha's response shows that he understands what Elijah did by casting his cloak upon him. It says this, And Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. So the question that I'd like us to consider under our third point is this. Why did God have Elijah do this? Why did God have Elijah raise up Elisha in his place? We certainly know this isn't something that Elijah came up with. He didn't choose to do this. Elijah was defeated. And we already saw in verse 16, God called him to do this. And even more so, I think we we should question, why did God have Elijah do this? Because if you looked at the upcoming chapters uh, that end the book of 1 Kings and even the start of 2 Kings, we see that Elijah doesn't die right away. Okay? Elijah, isn't, he doesn't die the next day, and that's why God wants him to raise a replacement. Um, ultimately, we see Elijah's ministry continues. So why would God want Elijah to find a replacement? And I believe the answer is quite simple. I think it shows, and we can see, God's desire, his value, even God's heart for us to raise up those who would take our place in serving him. God wanted Elisha to spend time with Elijah before Elijah passed. Elijah wasn't to just call him and then nothing else, but God wanted him to train him, teach him, help Elisha to grow in following God and his word. And we're even shown this in our passage. If you look with me at verse 21, we see after, we see after Elisha um, drops all that he has been doing and, and completely abandons his past life, at the very end of verse 21 it says, he assisted him. Elisha went and assisted Elijah. And you, you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Kings 3.11 we even get to see again that they continued to be together. In, in 2 Kings 3.11 it says this, and Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here, through whom we may inquire the Lord? Then one of the king's, king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So Elisha went after this time, after, our, after verse 21, he went on to be with Elijah. He lived life with Elijah. And we don't know this uh, we're not told this in the scripture, but we know they were together. You can imagine the conversations that were to ha be had. How Elisha could learn just from watching 
what Elijah would do. And we're given some of the things that Elijah does later in his ministry that Elisha would have gotten to experience and gotten to see Elijah do. And I don't know about you, but this may come as a bit of a, su a surprise. For God to assign Elijah to raise up, to invest in this one man to take his place. You might think there's a lot of other things that Elijah could have done with his time, a lot of other useful and honoring to God type of things that Elijah could have done. But ultimately we see that God saw it fit for Elijah to pour into Elisha's life. And I believe that this should teach us and challenge us to think about who can we invest in? Who can we invest in? Or who can we raise up? Or who can we walk with uh, to help them to follow God and to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? I think of the relationship of Paul and Timothy in the New Testament. And Pastor Reed uh, has delved more deeply into this just in the series that he's just finished in the Philosophy of Our Church uh, series. But Paul and Timothy are a great example of this, of one training up, of one teaching um, a younger Christian. And just two passages to consider, uh, talking of Timothy in, in, in Paul's relationship. Philippians 2.22, Paul says this, concerning Timothy. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father. So that's not physically, but that's talking about a spiritual relationship in which Timothy learns from the example of Paul as his father. And that says, he has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy literally uh, serves side by side with Paul for the sake of the gospel. So you can think of all the things that uh, Timothy learned from Paul. And even in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11, it says, You, speaking of Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. So Timothy followed. He learned from Paul as his, as his example. So Elijah and Elisha aren't the only example in the scriptures that we have of this. Paul and Timothy are just one example that we find in the scriptures of this training up, of investing in those who also follow God. And I believe that we should be challenged from the relationship of Elijah and Elisha and from God's obvious delight in Christians raising up other Christians, Christians raising up those who will serve in a specific area of the church, a teacher training up a future teacher, a pastor training up a young pastor, we often call this mentoring or discipling, but whatever you call it, this aspect is clear that we should be finding our Elishas and seeking to invest in them for the sake of the gospel. And as I consider my own life, I think of the Elijahs in my own life, those who have taken me under their wing and, and have really been an example to me, uh, both in my walk with God, but even as, a, as I've served as a pastor. And I think it's such a blessing that God provides Elijahs in our lives. And this is ultimately we see how God furthers his kingdom and specifically in Elijah's life, this is how God specifically carries out his plan for Elijah to do ministry. So as we close and as we considered 1 Kings 19 verses 13 through 21 this evening, we've seen three, three points. The first was God's plan is accomplished, not Elijah's. The second is that God's plan is accomplished through 
a weak, fallen, and even unexpected man. And then thirdly and lastly, we saw that God's plan is specifically accomplished through the training up of the next generation. And as we think about Elijah's life up to this point, Elijah had really lost sight of the plan of God. He let his circumstances and his emotions blind him to what God was doing. As we saw in the first point, we contrasted and saw how Elijah and God were now on the same page. And that wasn't God's fault, that was Elijah's. And we ultimately see that God's plan is what come, came to fruition. So may we be challenged from this text to look to God and be obedient to whatever he plans for our lives. Elijah's life should be a warning of how easy it is to fall off track. So let's seek to look to God and ask him for the wisdom and the strength that it takes to follow the will and the plans of God for our lives. Let us close in a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have this evening to open up your word. And, and Lord, I thank you for the time of worship that we had uh, through singing, through prayer, through the giving of the tithes and offerings, and Lord, even through the worship uh, of the preaching of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would take this passage, and there's a lot in there. There's a lot of lessons that can be learned, but ultimately, Lord, as we think about your plans and your purposes, Lord, they're perfect. They will happen, and we have confidence in that as we have the scriptures that attest to everything you plan and you promise. It happens. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to think about your plans for our lives. Help the plans that we make. Help us to, to say in our lives, if the Lord wills. Lord, and I just pray, God, that you would really help us to uh, trust in you, to be obedient for the plans that you have for our lives. And Lord, I pray that Elijah would be such an example for our lives and the many lessons that can be learned from this text. Lord, be with everyone as they uh, head home this evening, and I pray that you give us safe travels. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that as we go into our work weeks, if it be at home or school or at work or just in the community, Lord, I pray that we would uh, really live out our faith. And I pray that we'd be a testimony for you. And in your name I pray, amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.